Although, I've seen some scripts, I know the words weren't spelled right. There was hardly any commas in it at all. So I don't think that's too important. Hey, you want to get on the train here, or you want to ruin another take, huh? It's too cerebral. We're trying to make a movie here, not a film. Man, I don't drop character till I've done a DVD commentary. You want to eat the writer? Be my guest. That will leave you to explain how else your character is supposed to get to Bremen. Welcome to another episode of the In the Mouth of Dorkness Chatcast. I am your host, Billy Das, the Indie Dork. Joining me today is my co-host, Brad Gullickson, Mouth Dork. How are you today, sir? I am uh, pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty great, actually. I'm great. <laughs> Conversation-wise, this Things is a blast. Yeah. I had a ton of fun with this with this chat. I'm just in my own head. The world's scary out there. It is scary. Thankfully, out there. we have films like Tone Deaf to, to help me work out my it. rage and. Sure. Upsetted frustration. Well, what even do we do with our rage, Brad? What even do we do? Uh, uh, well, if you're Robert Patrick in uh, Richard Bates Jr.'s Tone Deaf, uh, you murder a fuck ton of people. Yep, 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 yep. <laughs> Millennials, man. Don't they just have it coming? Hey. I say is the oldest of millennials <laughs> and the most hey, knowingest. You're a millennial. Me, Gen X, baby. Yeah, eat a dick, Gen X. Whatever. Extreme sports. <laughs> Mountain Dew. Skateboarding. BMX bikes, they're rad. Millennials like skateboarding too, okay? Yeah, but the your skateboarding has like motorized wheels and shit. Yeah. No, thank you. Yeah, I do none of those things. I have a longboard and I'm in Dogtown in a swimming pool. That's what I'm doing as a Gen Xer. I think we're going off track. So we today, are. <laughs> <laughs> today, we're talking to Richard Bates Jr. Uh, about his uh, new film, Tone Deaf, uh, starring Robert Patrick of all people, uh, that basically turns into. Uh, baby boomers versus millennials. But the conversation... It's is, red state versus blue state. It is. And it kind of is. It's, it's a the bit hunt. That. Don't tell Universal. Oh, God. They'll oh, pull God. this thing. Can you believe that they did that? Uh, we can't. We do not have the time to talk about that, <laughs> but that is ridic. Yes. Uh, you know, I saw this film shortly after South by Southwest, and I spoke to Richard Bates Jr. for Film School Rejects, and I was so excited for you to see this movie. Uh, and your excitement was well-founded. So, first of all, I'm like, I'm a huge fan of Sir Ruin Gothic. I love that movie. Um, Trash Fire is the most fucked up thing that I have ever seen. And not like fucked up in terms of what they show, but just like psychologically, what he does with these characters and what he has them do to each other in Trash Fire is disturbing. And my wife and I watched that as a couple and it's about a couple who's not working out in their relationship. And I fucking loved every minute of that as I watched in horror. So when I found out that Tone Deaf is coming out and Brad got to see it before me, first of all, fuck <laughs> you. <laughs> <laughs> but second of all, when I finally did get a chance to watch it for this conversation, I loved it. Um, the movie hits theaters on Friday. Go see this movie big and loud. It's awesome. It's really, really great. Yeah, I uh, highly recommend it. I, but, you know, you're talking about Trash Fire and how upsetting and disturbing that movie left you. Tone deaf. Yeah, no. It's it's dealing with real-world uh, rage and frustrations. And as you'll learn in the interview, it's, you know, coming out of the uh, most recent presidential election. So there's a lot of complicated emotions there, or not-so-complicated emotions. <laughs> uh, but it's also a total blast of a film. Uh, I enjoyed every bit watching this movie. Um, you know, it's it's rare that you get to sit through a movie with a smile on your face the whole time, and that sometimes go causes me to go, what the fuck, or whatever, you know? Um, but, like, 
the movie is a laugh. But I think, and this kind of gets into the conversation that we had with Ricky, is, you know, all of the characters are... Um, Sympathetically written is not quite the right word exactly. Empathetically written. Empathetically written maybe is is more accurate. Is that no, there's there's not really a caricature of one side or the other. It's a hyper real environment, but we don't spoil too much about the film itself in the conversation, but I'll spoil my own feelings. Sure. Uh I came out pro baby boomer. Weird. Oh, wow. Weird. I don't think that was supposed to happen, but it did. Well, you hate the youth, first I of do. all. And I think this was the litmus test, and now we know what your true politics are, Brad, so... Yeah. Well, let's continue that conversation <laughs> after the conversation. Let's just jump into it. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Okay, we're here with Richard Bates Jr., writer and director of Tone Deaf, uh, which is a fucking rad movie, by the way. Welcome along to the podcast, man. We're happy to have you here. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Uh, so I think the first question is... Why take a generational approach uh, to a comedy horror movie to kind of tease out the differences between the baby boomers and the millennials? Well, it's sort of the, I'll tell you, the movie kind of started, the, the election had happened. I was sitting around with my wife and we were watching the news and, you know, I asked her, I said, what sort of scares you the most uh, about what's going on right now in the world? And she, she just turned to me and sort of blankly said, old men. <laughs> so... I went, I went to my little writing corner and I thought about it and I, I was trying to figure out a way to, to make a movie about that that would be interesting enough to me to spend the you know, insane amount of time it takes to, to get one of these things going. And I just, I've been listening to so much music and taking all these, these awful meetings you know, out here where it's strange because right, there's more content being made than ever before, but uh, you really do have to work even with the independent films now, which actually wasn't even the case, you know, like eight years ago. Yeah. But you really have to work between five and six sort of structures, right? Like if you're not working within those, uh, you're really not going to sell anything at, at any budget level. So, you know, music is, right now has been the most exciting thing to me. I just sit in my garage and listen to records, you know, front to back, because there are no rules. You know, you can put a rain stick in a, in a rock and roll song and, and no one gives a fuck, you know? Because because uh, it's been around for so much longer than film, you know we're we're not there yet. So the idea was to create a movie as if it was a song, as if I was creating sort of a dance track uh, to create a horror film, but to shift between three genres as if as if I was composing a song uh, with sam you know by sampling. So the idea was to, to have sort of a coming of age film, a slasher horror film, and a and an absurdist comedy. <laughs> So in, in even doses, we went through the script uh, fluctuating uh, from one to the other to the other and having the actors actually participate in the film as if they're in that genre each time. So that, that was sort of the, the, the experiment. And, and the way we kind of made sense of that was with the, all the turmoil and all the madness that's going on right now. I, frankly, over the course of 24 hours, I feel like I'm in 15 different movies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we kept the narrative very straightforward, and then and shifted the sort of, um, I guess the 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 way that we approach the filmmaking. So before we get to the experimental side of the of tone deaf, going back to the scary old men, you know, for myself. I find that I, I, I've been struggling to understand the, the scary old uh, white men uh, who oppose my uh, point of view. 
And what I was surprised about with your movie is how you offer a lot of empathy for the Robert Patrick character. Right. Well, that was super important, right? Because, uh, first of all, you know, look, I'm, I'm quite liberal leaning and there's nothing worse than preaching to the choir. You know, it's the reason that I, I, uh, for a movie that is about how everyone's full of shit and everyone's a hypocrite. I mean, that's what the film is about. You know, that's the common ground, you know, uh, is that, uh, you know, I cast Robert Patrick because, you know, he, he does have sort of more conservative viewpoints than myself. And I knew he wouldn't, he would have no interest in making fun of this character. Mm. So, you know, that was step one. Also, I, I, you know, for, you know, sure, I, I moved to New York after high school and I'm in L.A. now, but I grew up in the South. You know, my family's from Virginia and Mississippi. So, you know, I have a lot of friends uh, that are more conservative leaning. I know a lot of people like that. You know, I'm the I was the, the skinny jeans wearing, uh, you know, hipster freak uh, back in the day, you know. So I, I, I really I sort of have have uh, my hand in, in in both cookie jars in terms of, you know, who I'm talking to and who I see. And I kind of I get I certainly get both perspectives. Uh, to to a degree, right? But but the where I try what I tried to focus on was the generational divide. Okay, and so the fun of it was to pit this one character who is done growing, right? He is stopped growing. He's now he's open to nothing at this point in his life, and pit him against this girl Olive, who doesn't know who she is, and she so she's open to everything. And the movie actually ends with Olive you know, become it finally becoming a participant in her life and sort of walking away, starting her life for the first time as herself, as a self-aware sort of individual. She doesn't even know she's in a horror film until the third act. She has no idea. So that's, that's sort of what we're going for. I mean, that's from a structural perspective with these characters and, 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 uh, yeah. I mean, does that answer your question? How am I doing? You're doing great, baby. We love you. <laughs> You know, I, I feel like I come down, you know, the you talk about how the commonality is that we're all hypocrites, that we're all screwing up. Uh, the, the trick is convincing everybody that we're all just struggling to do the best we can so that we can move forward in any political arena. Right. And so what was important was to be very hard on both characters, mm. because I didn't want one person walking out of the movie uh, because because I was being too kind to the other. You know, I wanted as many people as possible to sit through it and sort of recognize certain things. You know, uh, we sort of build up, right? And it cr takes place in this heightened reality, right? Because I, I certainly don't want to deal with things that are going on today uh, in, like a, in like a very grounded way, like you're watching the news. There's still got to be the sense of midnight movie escapism. Mm. So everyone's larger than life. You know, the idea, the notion, the approach to dialogue was, you know, going going through all these uh, YouTube videos and, and Twitter and Facebook and, and realizing that, you know, subtlety is dead. You know, people, people say how, what they think. There, there isn't this sort of vagary anymore. Uh, and, and, you know, in order to create sort of this bizarre cultural artifact, and that's what I, I, think, I think the most interesting thing, right, is going to be to watch this crazy fucking movie in five or ten years from now and be like, what the fuck was going on then? <laughs> so I really tried to capture this feeling uh, from as far as it sort of exists in, from my perspective uh, right now for that sort of very reason. Hmm. 
So, you know, even the approach to filmmaking as far as close-ups, I've never shot close-ups so wide because people's personal possessions now are such a reflection of who they are, you know, on purpose that uh, in order to shoot a close-up of the character, we spend so much time on production design and having everything uh, be an aesthetic reflection of this character's, like, values and personality so that even the close-ups have all these, things in them. Well, that's actually, I think that's kind of an interesting thing, too. You know, if you're talking about treating tone deaf like a rock song and having the ability to work within three different genres at the same time, you know, what's your working relationship on the day while you're shooting? How how are you changing context? How are you changing camera approaches? How are you changing lighting? How, how does that work? The only, the only thing I change, so in order to keep, a, like, some uniformity, right, and filmmaking really matters to me. Now, I don't have the biggest budgets of anyone, but I, I really do try to uh, filmmake as elegantly as possible. So there's a uniformity to the filmmaking throughout. It's the performances and it's the lighting, right? For instance, let's say at the beginning we're in the office, right? Mm-hmm. So it's bright. You know, I, I, I'm saying to add our DP, I'm saying right now we are not in a movie this is the CW. <laughs> and I'm running around yelling at the actors, more CW. Okay? And then, you know, we're in a horror film, right? And, and the lighting's low and there's blues and, and, uh, and lots of sort of, you know, negative space and all these things. And, and it, it, it fluctuates like that. So from a lighting perspective and from a performance perspective, you know, the actors, for instance, you know, in a scene like that, when I'm saying more CW, they don't necessarily, their instinct is not to go that big, mm. but that's, but, but that's the movie you're in right now. And we'll, you know, uh, two days from now, we'll be in the subtle movie you're more comfortable with for a period of time. And then we'll be in another, but right now that's where we are. And everyone had so much fun doing that. Cause you don't get to do things like this. You don't get mm. to make movies like this. You know, I, I even, I lost this movie once. Uh, because of the approach I wanted to take, because I guess I've been saying like that, you know, there's more content right now being created than ever before, but there's, there's more rules than ever before. It's more rigid. And I, I know this from every filmmaker I talk to and from every meeting I take. So, you know, it's quite frankly, it's a miracle that we even got to make a movie this way. How, how, so how does that how does that miracle happen? Where where do you what 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 makes the pitch successful when you find your partners to produce the movie? Well, uh, first of all, the one good thing is you know I made three movies before this. Yeah, you did so, fucking rad ones uh, by the way. The kind of person, thank you, man. The the kind of person that's going to be have any interest in making a movie with me, right? Is going to be game for some crazy shit at this point. <laughs> They're not going to be yeah. blindsided, you know. So so it's the right people even talking to me now. Is it a lot of people? Fuck no. <laughs> you know, um, are my films blockbusters? Uh, absolutely not. Um, but there seems to be, uh, you know, one or two people out there who like them. Uh, maybe, maybe, uh, I'm talking to them, but, For sure. uh, you know, I don't know. So, so the actors and, and that goes for the actors too, right? They, they'll watch, uh, no one, they're not going to say yes to this crazy guy saying all these insane ideas without watching my other stuff. Right. So now when I get these actors, um, they're so game for everything. And, and what I'm finding is the only benefit of everything being so sort of uh, uniform right now is that there's some bigger actors 
uh, or actors with value, right, that are so sick of doing the same thing every day that they they jump at the chance of of making a movie like maybe you could in the 70s in mm-hmm. terms of experimentation. So Robert Patrick, for instance, you know, he'd, he'd been on a show for so long. This was like, you know, Robert, you're going to, you're in three genres. You're playing all these variations of a character. You know, he's, he's, uh, I never had an issue with a single, a single cast member. You know, all the crazy shit I say, all the things <laughs> we try, everyone was game. You know, Robert came up with my favorite line in the whole, the whole fucking movie. Um, we're in the, uh, the bar, right? And I was sort of toying with him, and I had them sneak a Shirley Temple to him. Because I, you know, <laughs> I said, Harvey, Harvey and Robert, I, Robert's never in his, in his life. Let me tell you, this is the most masculine man I've ever met. <laughs> this is not a man who has ever ordered a Shirley Temple at a bar. Oh, nor would he ever. So we snuck him a Shirley Temple, and he, he just rolled with it so perfectly that he instantly responded, don't hold back on the cherries. <laughs> and, and it's my favorite line in the movie. So, you know, every, we just had so much fun. And, uh, and even with the breaking the wall stuff, you know what I mean? Like this idea mm-hmm. that, you know, people now refuse to not be heard, refuse to not be listened to. And the idea that we're creating something of a cultural artifact, the villain's not going to just uh, be contained by the movie screen. Uh, if they, you know, presumably, right, it's, it's going to be marketed as, as a horror film. So, uh, the audience is going to be younger. So Harvey is not going to, uh, Harvey's not going to uh, have all these, these kids staring at him and not hmm. chastise them as well, you know? So, uh, which we had so much fun with, uh, breaking the wall and all that. Kind well, of I mean, it's such a brilliant little device that really surprised me when it occurred, because I feel like so many of us are living our lives constantly breaking the fourth wall, except nobody's on the other side watching, right? So when he breaks the right. wall, like it's an expression of this impotent rage. And, uh, you know, like, right. so, so how did you determine when you were going to introduce that in the script? Well, I, I, I determined that when I really introduced Harvey, that it's the first thing he's going to do. You know what I mean? Right now, at that point, we're in his movie. We're in his horror movie. And Olive doesn't know she's in a horror movie, right, until the third act. And, and then once she knows she's competing with this guy for a movie and she's an active participant in her life, then she breaks the wall. because She's, no, 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 fuck no, this is my movie. <laughs> and, that, and that was supposed to sort of reflect this, this back and forth between the generations. This is my country. No, this is my country. You know, you're living in my world, uh, but this is my world now. Yeah. I, I love the, I love the fourth wall breaking device. Um, it looks like we're coming up on the end of our time and we have one question that we like to ask everybody that stops by for the chat cast. Um, we know that filmmaking is, is really, really hard and especially indie filmmaking, like you were talking about, um, and it's easy to feel quite lowly when things aren't working right. Uh, so we end on a positive note. Um, what's one moment that you look back on in your career that you use to boo you in low times or makes you feel appreciative for the career that you've chosen? Well, you know, I'm still not jaded. You know, I've been so focused on <laughs> trying to put money aside and create this catalog uh, for whatever reason of, you know, the nicest thing anyone ever said to me was John Waters years ago said, you know, you have, you have some sort of a real voice. And I, I'm not, 
I'm not sure what it is, but I, I don't, I've never seen anything quite like it. Whoa. And if you can manage in your career to create a catalog of these movies, then there's a chance, you know, uh, that catalog could matter someday. A chance, you know, who knows? Um, so I have, I have stuck to this. I am determined, you know, I've turned down many, many, uh, opportunities and I've lost many, many movies, uh, from doing it, but, uh, I'm determined to try to stick to it and, and create this sort of catalog. So, you know, I'm so happy anytime I do get one of these made, it it truly is like a miracle that I'm not jaded, you know, like I'm going to go see the movie in the theater next week when it comes out and just freak out that I got to make a movie, you know, I used to dream about this in my parents' backyard with like a high camera in Virginia, you know? So I, I still get to, I still, I mean, I, I tear up when, if I see it on the big screen, you know, I never, I never dreamed, I never dreamed this could happen. I think that's a fucking great answer. Richard, where in Virginia are you from? Uh, like Northern Virginia, like Fairfax County. Yeah. Guess what? We're in Reston, Virginia right now. You're a re- man. You know the fucking town center lost that Borders bookstore. Yeah. That's, you know, Barnes that's, and Noble. That's, that's I worked the there. I worked there. I was oh, the Barnes manager. Barnes and Noble. Yes. Are you kidding me? No. He's not joking. That's Eleven years. Buy all the extraterrestrial books. Yeah, uh, yeah, like, yeah. I have. I still have in my library right here in California. I still have like five or six books about aliens that I bought in Reston Town Center. Because my parents would drop me off at the movie theater and then like <laughs> pick me up like two hours late, so I just go in the bookstore. That's my bookstore, or was? Holy shit! Small world. Was yeah. was it's a tragedy. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Cool. Well, that's a great place to end, Richard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks so much for your there time. You man. Go. Um, hey, where can the millennials find yeah, you on you. the on the social medias? I I am off social media. I Good don't like you. it. It makes me sad. I'm. Uh, they have me go on Facebook to promote the movie for the next week <laughs> after next Friday. Once it comes out, I will no longer be on Facebook because I do not like it. I love it. I think that's, yes, good for you, man. That's a good life choice. I think it's great. I Meanwhile, I'm addicted to it, so. <laughs> well, we'll promote the film for you. Oh, no, look, I mean, I when I'm on it, I'm addicted to it. I find myself already, waste, I, the t- amount of time I've wasted the past two weeks I've been back on, it's, it's unreal. It's ungodly. Yes. Exactly. All right. Uh, well, man, this has been a great conversation. Thanks so much for your time today. Hey, thanks for having me, man. You guys were awesome. I really appreciate it. All right. Take care. Love it. Have a beautiful day. You too. Bye. And that's Ricky Bates. Hey, how wild was that? That was great, man. I love that conversation. He's from Fairfax. Right? And he like shopped he... at my Barnes & Noble. You're very possessive of that store, which I, I like. Well, I yeah, because it was my Barnes & Noble. <laughs> I owned and operated it for many years. Uh, I also worked at it. Yeah, but I was a manager, Billy. Oh, You were just God. a lowly millennial Whoa. employee. Eat a dick, old man. <laughs> <laughs> Can you say that? I don't think you could say that. Uh, uh, I mean, I don't like that term, but if you want to use that term, that's something a millennial would use, I think, just with no respect. No respect. Millennials are such disrespectful people. I shouldn't say that. Uh, um, that being said, we were talking about politics yes. in the intro, and mm-hmm. you said we we're going to talk about politics in the outro. Oh, I just said, like, I came away pro... Uh, uh, did I come away pro Baby Boomer? I certainly came away pro Robert Patrick, and I wanted him to win. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's wrong, though, right? I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, is it wrong or right? It's hard uh, to say. You'd have to watch the movie and decide. To to Ricky's point, we're all monsters. We're all hypocrites. Uh, we we're all to, definitely in our own little world. Yeah, and and uh, you know, I I respond to the answer being. You suck, I suck, now what? Yeah. And that's really where I come down. But I do want to know what the now what is. And I don't think tone deaf is necessarily here to answer that question, <laughs> and nor should it. But it does leave the millennial uh, trapped in uh, with, with the future ahead of her, with her baby boomer future ahead of her. And, well, uh, but that's yeah. what we were talking about after the conversation, just you and I, was, like, is this cyclical? Like, what what is in store for her? Does, does she become Robert Patrick's character later in her life? And I, by the way, I don't think that this is spoilery at all, because, guys, it's, 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 he says in the interview that there's a, it's a slasher thing. How many slasher movies does the slasher win? All right, guys, this is, this is not a big deal. Well, there's all the Nightmare on Elm Street films, all the Friday the 13th films, all the Leatherface films. And even if they don't win within their film, they keep coming back. So they are the winners and the stars of their movies. They keep coming back. They keep coming back. So Robert Patrick is going to keep coming back, but... I'd watch a tone-deaf franchise. As, uh, well, first of all, yes, I absolutely would watch a tone-deaf franchise. Um, but no, I think Olive, uh, I think there's some cyclicalness there, is that the, the young become the old, and we become trapped in our ways, and that's kind of the way of the world. And I think that's what sets it aside from just sort of an immediate commentary on our, our current state of being and turns it into something that maybe maybe like he says will be a little bit more interesting to watch in five years what is interesting about the approach that uh, empathetic approach is you can watch it and go oh the left <laughs> liberals are the worst and you can watch it and go oh the right Republicans are the worst. Yeah. Uh, and and I, I find it fascinating, you know, Ricky's comments about Robert Patrick, who's a little more right wing than himself, right. really digging into his character and having a lot of fun with that role. Because, uh, you know, it's I, I see it as a pretty savage commentary uh, against the right. But yeah, I mean, the left take but their I, lumps, too. I mean, they do take more than their 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 lumps in this. I mean, he's he's really hard on millennials. In sure. This movie, but I, well, because they're awful. And they're monsters, as we've established. You guys uh, are ruining my country. Okay. Stop ruining my country. I, you can't see, but I'm rolling my eyes so hard. My head hurts. Uh, uh, no, but like, um, uh. God damn it, Brad. I'm sorry. <laughs> Tone deaf is great. She's a final girl. She's going into the future. She will become Robert Patrick. That's our thesis. That's the it mod thesis. I, Life is cyclical. Yeah, I, I think that's we the never it mod thesis. I don't know if that's Ricky Bates' thesis, but I think the thing that I love about his movies is that he's really hard on his characters. And he really puts you, the viewer, in a spot where you have to question what you're watching, what is this saying, and how do I actually really feel about what I'm seeing? Kind of like we're talking about the divide between the baby boomers and the millennials. But, I mean, the same was true for Trash Fire. Those characters are horrible to each other. Um, but they kind of deserve it. And so you have this weird engagement with this thing that's terrible that you're watching that makes you have to think through your own complicated emotions about the things going on around you. And I think, at least as far as he said, you know, John Waters saying you've got a voice, uh, I think he's definitely got one. And What a great final answer that was, too, for, by right? the way. Like, if John Waters said 
anything like that to you, you're just like, well, close up shot. I've made it. <laughs> Catalog done. By any measure of success, I am now a success. Good day. Although what's baked into that quote is don't stop, kid, because if you do, you might not get that catalog. So it's right. a great thing to chase. It is a great thing to chase, yeah. which is what makes it to live uh, up to Waters quote. is hope. Yeah. Oh, but man. he's doing it, man. He's doing he's it. He's doing it. Yeah. Um, anything that that's got his name attached to it, I'm always going to be interested in because he does have a great track record. As the millennials say, for sure. <sighs> so, yes, <laughs> that's tone deaf. That's tone deaf. Richard Bates Jr. Highly recommend. It mod approves. Uh, so the movie hits theaters on August the 23rd. This is something that you want to see with an audience, and it's something that you want to see big and loud. It is worth it. This is the type of movie that you want to go put your money to. So go check this movie out. And then fight with your own friends and family about millennials versus baby boomers. And maybe be a, a hoity uh, Gen Xer who's too cool to participate in anything because they're full of apathy and sadness. And so Surge. Surge Cola. <laughs> my favorite cola. Surge is pretty legit, though. Yeah. Um, all right. So that's that's uh, that's the conversation with Richard Bates. Uh, what do we have in future business? We have a couple of really rad chats on the horizon. Yeah. Uh, we are speaking to Infinity Baby and Francis Ferguson director Bob Byington, as well as the star of Francis Ferguson, Kaylee Wheelis. That'll be next week. And then the week after that, we're talking to our pal, Clay McLeod Chapman. Yeah! Uh, we met him at Chattanooga Film Festival last year or this year? No, this we year. met him this year. Yeah, it was earlier this year. You played D&D with him. I So when we went to Chattanooga, I uh, got to play D&D with, uh, where C. Robert Cargill was the Dungeon don't, Master. Don't, First off, played next to me. all our listeners know this story because you bring it up every week. Every opportunity. And don't spoil it again because you're going to bring it up on that episode. Don't worry about that. It's awesome, Uh, you guys. And Brad's a little jealous. But Clay's got a new (laughs) book coming out in the fall called The Remaking. Yeah. Uh, On the newsstands right now, if those are even still a thing, certainly you can go to Comixology or your local comic book store and purchase Absolute Carnage Separation Anxiety Number 1. He's written that book, and it is getting great reviews. And it was just announced today, the day of this recording, that he will be uh, have his own solo title centered around the character of Scream, the Carnage knockoff character, who I always hated in the 90s, <laughs> but seems to be getting a lot of attention right now. And if Clay's writing that character, I am suddenly super excited. Well, I mean, if he's anything, he is an amazing storyteller. Yes. So I think that he can take anything that's given to him and do something amazing with it. And I'm just super thrilled for him that Marvel is... Uh, recognizing his talent and giving him a platform to work with. I I see nothing but amazing things for him in the future. Super excited. So yeah, looking forward to both of those chats. Subscribe. I hope you've already subscribed. If you've joined us just to hear Richard Bates Jr., stick around. Go into our back catalog. We got some good chats. We got some pretty good conversations. We're we're not humble, but uh, they're good. (laughs) Subscribe, like, uh, retweet us, do all those things. Review. Spread, spread the word review. Please. Billy, Billy. Yeah. Where can our listeners find you online so that they can tell you that you're a really rad dude? Uh, well, anybody who wants to tell me I'm rad can find me at WB Das on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Uh, and you can also find me uh, at Bill and Claire's Excellent Adventures, which is a podcast that I co-host with my now 10-year-old daughter uh, as we work Did together. Did she have a birthday? Yeah. Yeah. Did I miss that? Yeah. 
I wasn't invited. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> you don't want any Gen Xers. <laughs> that was so brutal. I'm sorry. I know. We had a family thing because her birthday present this year was uh, going to sleepaway camp for a year. Uh, a year. A week. A week? It was a week. A week yeah, felt yeah, like yeah. a year, though. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, she had a great time. I'm sure it didn't feel like a year for her, but we missed her while she was gone, um, despite the fact that I had a little Freudian slip there about the amount of time that she was away. But anyways, um, the Bill and Claire's Excellent Adventures, where we work together to expand her cinematic horizons. So check that out. We have uh, we just covered Jaws with her first watch of that, and we've got uh, uh, some 99 films coming up, uh, Varsity Blues, a little behind-the-scenes look at how we put our episodes together, The Meg... Uh, and then we're going to get into Universal Horror Monster movies. My understanding is that Claire liked Jaws quite a bit. She fucking loved that movie, dude. I can't wait to listen to that episode. Yeah, it was great. Cool. Uh, follow our other dorks, Darren Smith at the Disco Dork, Brian Young at the Turtle Dork, Lisa Gullickson at Sidewalk Siren, and you can follow me on all social medias, but especially untapped, at Mouth Dork. And uh, yeah, follow us at uh, ItModcast as well. You can find us there. I almost said the handle to my other podcast. So might as well. That's at CBCC Podcast. Uh, every week, Lisa and I talk about a new rad comic book couple. Uh, we just finished our series on Mary Jane and Peter Parker, and it was amazing. I think that's the best series of episodes we've done so far at the Comic Book Couples Counseling Podcast. So yeah, uh, head on over there too. This outro is even better than last week's outro. I I mean, could anything be better than last week's outro? No. The madness of it. This is close. This is close. <laughs> I think it is. I think it is. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. Outro. Um, um, are, are you signing out or am I signing out officially? Uh, well, I opened, so. Yeah, get us, get us out of here. All right. See you next time. Take care. <laughs> you dick. <laughs> Visions are worth fighting for. Why spend your life making someone else's dreams? You should really think about a career in beatboxing. Well, you know, I've got my fallback options. Okay. (laughs) I feel sorry for your family. (laughs) It's true.